I just assume anyone I haven't seen in a while has passed on or gave up and moved to Palm Beach. How much do we want to see the COVID-19 pandemic reflected in our films and TV shows? Should stories be helping us process or just letting us enjoy a much-needed escape? As movies and shows have had to decide whether or how to portray COVID in near real time, we've seen a range of approaches. Some have dramatized it as a featured plot point, leaning into the pandemic as a way to tell cathartic stories of strength and resilience. So far, we have enough ventilators. Uh, what about PPE for the staff? We are reusing what we have, but we need more. Others are integrating it into stories as everyday reality, almost background noise, or an increasingly regular feeling part of our world. Hey, Kendall, what can I do you for? Back up, keep your distance. Some act like the pandemic is over, briefly referring to it in past tense. Remember when we had to legally stand six feet apart from one another? Yeah, I miss it. Or perhaps looking at its long-term effects. Some take a horrific or apocalyptic worst-case scenario, where COVID or another deadly disease ushers in the end of the world as we knew it. It can be a framing device, as characters who are stuck inside struggle to connect over Zoom. Um, so what do you, what, uh, what, um, what do you do? Sorry? And many of today's most popular films and shows have decided that what people want most is COVID escapism, a world where the pandemic never happened and never will. Even when COVID isn't mentioned, the consequences of the pandemic are visible in how it's delayed and altered productions. Have you noticed how many fewer crowd shots or large group scenes there are now? And countless narratives are full of contemporary themes of isolation, loss, or a world that's generally breaking down. Overall, as the pandemic moves toward becoming endemic, COVID on screen has largely evolved from sci-fi threat to ongoing, even banal, everyday life. Here's our take on the various ways of dramatizing COVID and how film and TV are normalizing pandemic life on screen. He's a COVID hoarder. First responders could have used all of that stuff. Today we have a new episode of The Takeaway on the Amazon Prime Video YouTube channel. We are talking about the series finale of The Expanse, what it all meant. Also, getting some answers. The Expanse did such a great job, I think, of capturing the expansiveness of the universe. I can't believe that The Expanse is coming to an end. We followed these characters of the Rossi crew throughout all of these seasons. The Rossi crew sort of represents this nuclei of a future. Everyone has something different to offer and add. Meanwhile, there are these developments happening in a place nobody's paying attention to, and it's gonna dictate so much of the future. There's so much to talk about, all these mysteries of the proto-molecule. Who was the ancient civilization that created this proto-molecule, and who were these unknown aggressors that destroyed that civilization? The universe in The Expanse is so interesting because it's such a mix of utopia and dystopia, but it's done in this way that is immersive, it's really enjoyable science fiction, but it's also very recognizable and plausible. The Expanse really tackled a lot of the big geopolitical questions that we face today. It's got so many of our class and economic conflicts, it channels our feelings of global crisis, but it does it through this exciting, mysterious story. So check out our newest episode of The Takeaway on the Amazon Prime Video YouTube channel on the series finale of The Expanse. You tested positive for COVID-19. Don't stop at the store, just go home, stay home, try not to infect anyone else. Maybe you should put your mask back on. In many ways, how different narratives tackle COVID or don't is a reflection of what their audience is seeking emotionally and intellectually from that particular show or film. 
Those most likely to put COVID front and center are dramas that thrive on a steady flow of high-energy conflicts that may have a melodramatic or soapy element and help audiences face big emotions head-on. Many of these shows also feature characters working in fields which have been most directly impacted by COVID, like news, first responders, and especially the medical profession. So it might feel jarring if narratives about professions like these didn't address the pandemic. Grey's Anatomy wrote COVID into its 17th season in a serious way as Meredith's long battle with the disease put her on a ventilator. And episodes were also a source of public information, educating the audience around COVID protocols and COVID safety. If untreated, the clot in your leg could travel to your lungs and kill you. We're seeing cases like yours all of the time, sir. This is not just a cold. Perhaps most importantly, Gray's shown a light on just how difficult the crisis has been and still is for doctors and nurses. The whole season was dedicated to healthcare professionals. Hospitals are losing too many of their own, so no one goes through these doors without full PPE, which is in short supply. The Morning Show's second season tracks the transition in journalism from COVID being just one of many things in the news cycle. We should cover coronavirus. Maybe if we can get this sham impeachment trial over with, we can actually clear up some screen time. To its overshadowing everything else, procedurals about the legal system and crime investigation have dramatized how the effects of the pandemic have created intense strain on all of these institutions. And in help, COVID is viewed through the lens of a UK nursing home to underline just how abandoned nursing home staff and patients have felt. Nobody's helping me. Unfortunately, all our ambulances are busy right now, but we will be there as soon as possible. Hmm. What if, what if it wasn't calling from a care home? As the pandemic continues on, more films and TV shows are portraying it less as intense drama and more as just a facet of everyday reality, showing how life finds a way to go on around the pandemic. On the domestic front, This Is Us has processed how middle-class families are adjusting as the challenges of the pandemic intersect with the ordinary life challenges people still have to navigate. We are doing a non-traditional engagement where the woman gets pregnant first and then the man moves in with her because of a global pandemic. In Superstore, the pandemic immediately alters the way in which Cloud9 operates, but rather than this being a source of tension or fear, this is more of an annoyance. You need to put on the mask or you will be escorted out of the store. This is America, okay? I have rights. On Shameless's final season, the characters are wearing masks and expecting more lockdowns, but they don't have much time to worry about getting sick because they're reeling from the economic impact of the virus on their already precarious livelihoods. It's an approach in line with Shameless's overall focus on how a crisis like this disproportionately affects poor people. My doctoral dissertation is on neighborhoods in transition due to the economic displacement caused by the pandemic. Well, you come to the right place. Lots of economic displacement and transition going on around here. The Connors takes a similar approach. Let's just be happy we're working. Easier said than done. For much of Shameless and others, COVID mostly becomes part of the background setting, like in Betty, a show about young female skaters whose season two continues as usual, but with everyone wearing masks. In other examples, COVID's sort of there, sort of not presence is so subtle you could easily miss it. Hey, you want to get tied from, um, Kitty? Or did they, did they close? Everything's been so crazy. Mm. 
Sherry had to post an apology video in August 2020 after it was discovered that she had a massive party while the rest of us were home clutching hand sanitizer. We're far from living in a post-COVID world, but a number of shows are already acting like it's over. These post-COVID stories provide us the greatest wish fulfillment, allowing us to look to a future where it's over for good, or has been so majorly tamed that it's only a passing casual reference. Hey, do you know Corey and Theta? Uh, yeah, Nico got COVID from him. Why? Well, according to my boyfriend, he has a huge crush on you. In the Sex and the City reboot, and just like that, social distancing is briefly mentioned in the very first lines. Do we hug or bump elbows? But isn't present apart from Carrie unearthing a vaccine card in Big's wallet and an occasional line looking back. I am drinking too much. Yes. We all were in the pandemic and I just kept going. In this show and in the reboot of Gossip Girl, New York is as busy as ever with no masks in sight and the virus is a memory. You know, you're not normally this excited for the first day of school. Well, it's better than being stuck in here for another year. No shit. Curb Your Enthusiasm similarly features plots that remember COVID while no one in LA is wearing a mask. Purell? How about that? I'm, I'm not a Purell that. hoarder. Remember the pandemic, the hoarders? Nasty people. The choice to acknowledge COVID feels true to these shows' spirit because they exist mostly in our actual world. Trump has really ruined it for all Don Juniors, hasn't he? I would not want that as my name. But they inhabit a slightly alternate reality where the initial introduction of the vaccine seems to have ended the virus as a serious threat, as some perhaps felt could be possible around mid-2021. Meanwhile, having actors go maskless seems largely a practical and dramatic solution because it's much harder to create engaging scenes with actors' facial expressions covered. That's why the characters in Shameless are constantly pulling down their masks to say something. Mask up, Tammy. Well, how's she supposed to see how pissed I am if she can't see my face? Still, even in post-pandemic worlds, the virus has often left a mark. Carrie Bradshaw may not have lost anyone to COVID, but she's grieving two key characters from her original series. And some of these post-COVID stories explore lasting social ramifications of the pandemic. In Yu's suburban third season, it's implied that COVID is either over or at least has stopped being a concern for the wealthy elite. Rumor was the whole neighborhood got their hands on a secret vaccine manufactured for the Queen of England and were thus immune to COVID. But an ostensibly sweet religious man is attacked and kidnapped because he's an anti-vaxxer. We just don't believe in subjecting kids to toxic injections they don't need to fight things their bodies were created to fight. Adding anti-vaxxers into Yu's group of victims plays into how the pandemic has intensified divisions and moral judgment between portions of our society who loosely fall along the line between vaxxed and anti-vax. Don't forget to toast the apocalypse. In the early days of COVID, pandemic-themed films like Contagion and Outbreak got a second life. Our best defense has been social distancing. And the mobile game Plague Inc., in which users play as a plague trying to end humanity before a vaccine can be developed, shot to the top of download charts. People at this time were seeking immersion, a way to safely confront and live out their worst fears. People can be contagious without even having symptoms. The Guardian's Charles Bromesco argued it was a form of emergency preparedness for the mind. But for many, the desire to watch COVID-esque apocalypses waned quickly. One of the first films to deal with the pandemic directly was Songbird, released on Amazon in December 2020, which portrays a nightmarish dystopian future in which COVID has gotten out of control. Is it as bad as it seems out there? It's worse. It's way worse. 
it got 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Some news stories have continued to deal with more apocalyptic scenarios, but those that are more successful at saying something tend to refer to COVID itself more metaphorically. I don't want to do the math, but the aggressive nature of this is likely to significantly reduce the population. In How It Ends, a woman and her inner child navigate their last day on Earth before an asteroid strikes. Rather than leaning into the horror, How It Ends instead suggests these challenging times can be an opportunity for internal reset, reflection, and growth. All your life, you've been licking your f***ing wounds. You haven't realized that I'm the biggest wound of all. Station Eleven, adapted from a pre-pandemic 2014 novel, supposedly shot its first two episodes before the pandemic hit. Do you know about this flu? What, that thing in Asia? And while it clearly integrates aspects of our pandemic... How close are you to that person? <coughs> Its far deadlier flu is really set up for a story about a future world of survivors that looks very different to what we know. There's no before. Other early COVID films and shows used the pandemic as a framing device, and especially before most traditional film production could resume, showed characters interacting on Zoom. A slew of love stories tried to examine how the pandemic changed dating and relationships. But video chat-heavy narratives have aged quickly as Zoom fatigue has long set in and the last thing many want to watch after a day of remote work is fictional characters chatting on their screens. Many of the more rushed, gimmicky responses to COVID tended to depict the surface-level experience without capturing something of more emotional depth. They could become like time capsules of a very particular phase of the pandemic, creating a kind of uncanny valley effect where what's being presented is kind of familiar, but also kind of fake. Stephen Knight's Lockdown is a hybrid between a Zoom-heavy story about a couple struggling in lockdown and a heist film about robbing Harrods. Then the clashing genres created a strange result, bordering on silly. The bastards who told me to fire those people, they are bad. You and I are good. Good is better than bad. Host managed to leverage the limitations introduced by COVID more effectively, using Zoom to create a found footage-style horror movie feel. Obviously, we're not here physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't uh, communicate with us over the internet. Language lessons about a man and his online Spanish teacher, which doesn't mention COVID but takes place over video chat, was also well received for the reality of its performances and the way it shows the positive potential of technology to enable human connections. I just want to make sure that you're okay. But by now, most viewers are turned off by any media that's too closely copying our daily lives of COVID anxiety and Zoom. Playwright David Hare complained that the BBC rejected the opportunity to broadcast his COVID play, Beat the Devil, by saying, give me drama on any other subject but COVID. As we all battle with pandemic fatigue, more and more people use film and shows to escape thoughts of COVID. Even from the start, crazes over shows like Tiger King allowed people to shut off from the news. And throughout 2020 and 2021, many of the most popular hits were as far away from COVID as you could get. Whether viewers returned to older comfort food binges, stories conveniently set in another time period, fantastical worlds, or just thrills removed from everyday reality. Escapism works particularly well with fantasy or period narratives, but many realistic narratives too charge on ignoring the pandemic, setting themselves just before the pandemic and an assumed alternate world without the pandemic, or being non-specific about their timeline as a way to sidestep the issue. 
Still, even those that seem totally non-COVID related may reflect some of the brutality and suffering we're all facing, or speak to contemporary feelings of isolation, burnout, and grief. What is grief? If not love, persevering. With Bo Burnham's Inside, COVID is the catalyst and the context for the comedian filming his comedy special by himself in a room. Can one be funny when stuck in a room? But thematically, the special explores a broader millennial angst, the mental health struggles many are facing right now, and the question of whether things like the individual pursuits we fixate on even matter at all when we're facing such existential problems as a society. With that funny feeling, itself a kind of 21st century we didn't start the fire, Burnham contemplates the global strangeness of the world today, of which COVID is one part. The backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun. And sings pessimistically that it'll be over soon. The Guilty is similarly about modern isolation, even though COVID's never mentioned, but the whole film takes place with Jake Gyllenhaal's LAPD cop Joe Baylor in front of a computer screen predominantly conversing with people over the phone. Explicitly hanging over the film are the California wildfires. Do you see fire? And other films and shows today likewise speak to the impending climate catastrophe with a tone that overlaps with COVID to fuel the current feeling of global crisis. Are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Even The Expanse, which is set in a future world throughout the solar system, reflects pandemic fatigue through a plot about a different long-term conflict. It was easier in the beginning. When disaster first happens, we all pull together to help each other. But when things don't get better, remembering that feeling of caring for each other is hard. This idea of exploring themes related to COVID without directly exploring COVID also may explain why certain shows took off during the pandemic. Dating show Love is Blind trended at number one on Netflix just as physical connection was restricted. So perhaps it makes sense that viewers flocked to a dating show that sought to prove people could fall in love without ever being in the same room. I've been like trying to imagine you. Obviously that's kind of impossible, but... It is. Ted Lasso may exist in a universe where COVID doesn't seem to have hit, but the optimism and hopefulness embedded in the show's DNA chimed with what audiences felt they needed. I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. Even when shows may choose to exist in a totally COVID-free universe, that's still part of the lens through which we'll watch them. In the same way that we view lots of films from the 40s and 50s in the context of World War II's aftermath, or films from the 60s and 70s through the lens of Vietnam, we will forever look back on the culture emerging now as a mirror of the pandemic. How it changed society and our psychology, what could have happened, what should have happened, and what we learned. In the absence of leadership, it takes everyday people to step up. In the years following 9-11, we had a few high-profile dramatizations of what happened, but far more common were films and shows that at first ignored it. Contemporaneous New York City set shows like Friends and Sex and the City decided not to incorporate it, while The Simpsons stopped airing an episode in which Homer visits the Twin Towers. Hey! When you're done with that, I got something up here you can fight on. And why don't you be polite, you stinking puss bag? Eventually, as 9-11 was viewed from more of a distance and could be referenced without it being as raw a trigger, it became a way into understanding various narratives and characters. 
September 11, 2001. Do you call a broker, Lincoln Chang, in Jersey City and have him short aviation stocks in the European markets? And the way it had indelibly shaped our culture. The same thing will happen with COVID. Eventually, its influence will have been such a big part of our lives for so long that referencing it will become unavoidable for anything set in this world. Culture won't have to question whether or not it should be depicting a world changing, but will have to document a world changed. We've got a really exciting COVID announcement. Oh my God, is it over? Today we have a new episode of The Takeaway on the Amazon Prime Video YouTube channel. We are talking about the series finale of The Expanse. What happened? There were so many amazing mysteries revealed and so many bigger questions posed. A lot to unwrap. The Expanse really grapples with questions of identity. Is that wrapped up in what our parents have taught us? Or is this something that we come to through our own experiences and our own journey? Deborah, who are some of your favorite characters in The Expanse? I love Drummer. I could watch a whole show on Drummer. Amos actually was one of my favorite characters too, and I loved watching Amos come back to Earth. It was a way for us to sort of come back ourselves to see what could happen if we don't take care of our planet. There is this awareness that we had this paradise on Earth and kind of squandered it, which is very relevant to a lot of the concerns today with climate change. Bobby, as a Martian, brings that up. She really resents the Earthers. I can't remember the last time I went down to the water. You take it for granted. Bobby is one of my favorite characters as well. I loved watching Bobby's journey. She goes from being the soldier to a leader, and I think her relationship with Avasarala is really important for that. Love Avasarala, as well as her accessories. I love that she's dealing with these crises, but she just always looks immaculate. She has so much wisdom. It doesn't always mean that she makes the right choices. She's trying to do the right thing, but that's complicated, and I think the season captures that. The Expanse did a really great job of teeing up these questions for us and thinking, what would we do? How would we govern? How can we make this world more livable? So watch our new episode of The Takeaway on the Amazon Prime Video YouTube channel on the series finale of The Expanse.